we begin this morning with a review of this passage to date. Why did the crowds come to see Jesus in the New Testament? They came to Jesus because he performed great miracles. They came to be healed of their diseases and to be delivered from their maladies. They came to witness his mighty deeds. They came out of curiosity to find out if the things that they had heard concerning Jesus were really true. But for the most part, they did not come to hear his teaching. They took his teaching for granted. Little did they know how blessed they were to hear from the Lord Jesus Christ. They were given a privilege that previous generations literally would have died for. How the former prophets would have delighted to get the insights into God's kingdom that the disciples were receiving. Matthew thirteen seventeen. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The crowds, for the most part, weren't interested in Jesus' instruction. And so there was a lengthy interaction among the crowd and the Pharisees that took place due to Jesus' casting out a demon that resulted in a man formerly blind and mute now being able to speak. Jesus had performed a notable miracle. It had led people to wonder if Jesus was actually the Christ. The Pharisees sought to dissuade the people from believing in Jesus. They did so by saying that the power which Jesus displayed was not God's power, but the evil one's power. Jesus exposed the wickedness of the Pharisees in proposing such an idea. Jesus then warned the people who witnessed and even experienced the power of God without believing in Jesus that they are inviting disaster. Their end will be worse than their beginning. Jesus taught them that to receive his word was a sign that people belonged to him. Matthew twelve fifty, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now Jesus speaks to the people in parables. The reason we went through that review is because of chapter 13, verse 1. That same day. All of what I just described took place in a single day. Two weeks ago, we looked at the reason that Jesus spoke in parables. Matthew 13, 10. The disciples asked him the question, why do you speak to them in parables? The answer is that this is God's judgment upon a people who were not truly interested in hearing God's word. Verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This is a rebuke. They refuse to hear. They refuse to see. Jesus had just done a notable miracle, namely to cast out this demon and cause a man who had been blind to now see, 
could not speak, now is able to speak. And yet they refused the word that Jesus spoke. So he said, therefore I speak to them in parables, so that they will not understand, and they will not hear. Now if they want to hear, the parable will be explained to them. But uh, if they don't want the explanation, it won't be given to them. So now we look at this first parable where Jesus explains why people have a different response to God's word. Why doesn't God's word produce the same result in everyone? Why isn't it effectual in every single heart? Is there something inadequate in the scriptures or is there something inadequate in the person who proclaims the word of God? And the answer is in this particular parable, no. The difference lies within the heart of the hearer. So Jesus provides a parable regarding how seed sown in four different soils has different effects. The four soils correspond to four different types of hearts. What we are to learn is the different responses in the word of God is a result of differences in heart. Notice Matthew 13, 9. He who has ears, let him hear. If you're able to hear, if you want to hear, then listen up. Matthew 13, 18, hear then the parable of the sower. So he gives the parable, and now he gives the explanation. Having had the parable read to you, now we are going to focus on the explanation. First, the interpretation of the various elements of the parable. The interpretation of the meaning and significance of the seed. The seed in this parable is the good news of the kingdom. Notice verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom. So this seed that's being sown is the good news of the kingdom of God. In each of the following grounds, it is the same seed which is sown, namely the good news of the kingdom. Notice Verse 4, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. Verse 5, other seeds fell on rocky ground. Verse 7, other seeds among thorns. Verse 8, other seeds fell on good soil. The fact is, it is but of one kind of seed. And I say that because that distinguishes this parable from the parable of the tares. In the parable of the tares, there are two kinds of seeds. Notice Matthew 13, 24, and 25. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat. So in the second parable, there are two different kinds of seeds. There's good seed, which is wheat. There's bad seed, which is tares or weeds. In this parable... It's the same seed. All of the seed in this parable is good seed or wheat. It's not 
the difference in the word that creates a difference in response in this particular parable. That's important to distinguish. Everyone is hearing the same message, but it's not eliciting the same response. Just as this morning, we have approximately 250 people here. You're all going to hear the same message. But not everyone is going to go away with the same response. Not everyone is going to be ministered to in the same way. Not everyone is going to go away thinking the same thing about this message. Why not? Well, this parable teaches us it's a matter of the heart. The sower is not explained in the parable, for the symbolism of the sower becomes self-evident. When one understands that the seed is the word of God, then the sower is the one who disseminates the word of God, namely preacher, teacher, etc. It matters not in the parable who is sowing the seed. The sower does not make the difference. The difference is to be found in the types of soil, not the seed, not the sower. In the immediate context, the sower is Jesus. It's Jesus' teaching. One might think that if Jesus speaks, then everyone would listen. Then everyone would pay attention. That's the thought when Jesus says that you are going to be beyond an excuse for the children of Nineveh are going to rise up in judgment against you because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of Sheba is going to rise up in judgment against you because she went to great lengths to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. You would think that if Jesus speaks, people would listen. Not necessarily. And there are going to be four different responses to Jesus that speaks. I think that's really important for us to keep in mind this morning because ultimately what we're hearing is the word of God. The word of God. And may I be so bold as to say, if people will not hear the word of God, it wouldn't even matter if Jesus declared it. For it is the word of God. The difference lies within the hearts. So let us look at the interpretation then of these four soils that represent four different kinds of hearts. While there is but one kind of seed, while there is but one sower, there are four different kinds of soil. The path, the rocky ground, the thorny ground, and the good soil. So we'll look at each of these individually, first looking at the imagery and then the interpretation. 
The first soil is the path or wayside, which represents the hard heart, Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So the path is a heart. The imagery here is of a well-worn path or wayside. Through rain and sun and people's steps, a dirt pathway becomes extremely hard. You can picture uh, a public facility and paths get worn when uh, people make a shortcut across and cut through uh, the uh, cement sidewalks and grass doesn't grow and it is hard. The seed cannot penetrate the surface of the soil. As a result, the seed remains on the surface and becomes food for the birds and eventually it is snatched away. The interpretation is the hard uh, the path represents a hard heart. It says in verse 19 that it does not understand it. Remember, in the context, this is a willful failing to understand. A willful failing to understand. They simply reject it, such as the Pharisees. They dismiss it outright. And the result is that the word of God is snatched away, meaning that it has no effect. Rejected out of hand. In this instance, the message falls on totally deaf ears. Let him that hear, hear. These people are spiritually deaf. It's as if the word were never even spoken. The second ground is the rocky soil, which represents the shallow heart. The primary image of the rocky soil is that of shallowness, Matthew 13, 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root. He has no root. Picture an area where wind might have blown dust across cement. Or, let me tell you about a situation that I ran into when I was a, a kid. As many of you know, I grew up on a farm. Our farm was really unique in the fact that we never had a pickup truck. We had a big steak body truck, and we had a lot of equipment, but I don't know why, but we never had a pickup truck. Instead, we had a 1951 Buick Special, a four-door car that was almost like a truck, and my dad used it like a truck. We would pile everything into this four-door car and take it, had a huge trunk, and put it in the back seat and stuff. And my dad would haul, would, would, uh, haul anything in this 51 Buick. We just used it as a, as a farm vehicle. 
And one spring, we were planting wheat, and we piled it into the uh, back of this Buick, and the thing was filthy, okay, because it never got washed, never was uh, cleaned out, and had it for years, using it as a farm vehicle. And the bag split open, and seed fell all over the back floor in this 51 Buick. Well, we picked up most of it, scooped it up, and put it into the uh, planter, and and planted it, but there was still a lot of seed on the floor of this 51 Buick. Now, if you can picture this, it shows you how dirty this car was, that over a period of time, that seed actually sprouted. (laughs) It came up on the floorboards of this 51 Buick. And so, it was really unique. We had grain this high, this, this green little sprouts all over the floor of this car. So it looked like it had green mats in it. It was really, really kind of nifty. <clears throat> but it really wasn't the place for wheat to grow. And it never produced grain. It never sprouted. It never produced a head. It quickly withered and died for there was no nutrients there. There was no place for the root. There was no way for it to get the water and for the nutrients that it needed. And so it died. Thus, the example of the rocky ground. Here, it says that the word is received with joy. With joy. And it is received immediately. But it has no root, and therefore it is going to die. Verse 21, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Easy come, easy go. When their faith is tested to see if it is genuine, it proves to be false. The specific adversity or the rocks that is referred to is the opposition that results from adherence to the word of God. Notice verse 31. The rocks are these, tribulation or persecution which arises on account of the word. Tribulation is affliction of any kind, a burden or trouble resulting from the word of God. This would include any unpleasant or difficult commands to obey or claims of Christ upon one's heart. Persecution is a price to be paid in following Christ. I mentioned to you before John chapter 6, where the people of God, excuse me, not the people of God, but the people that heard Jesus, uh, after he had fed them with the five loaves and two fishes, it says that they wanted to make him king by force. They were just excited by this wonderful privilege to eat this bread and to eat the fishes. And so they wanted to make him king, because they evermore wanted to eat the fish and eat the bread. 
And so they were following him around. And Jesus says, I'm not going to give you the fish. I'm not going to give you the bread anymore. And so then they become disillusioned and eventually they fall away. These are the kinds of people. They are excited when he's doing miracles. But when the miracles aren't coming anymore, and not only are the miracles not coming, but when they hear that there are duties, when they hear that there are requirements that are expected of them, then they don't want anything to do with it. This stands in direct contrast to the book of Thessalonians. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and says this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Paul says, I know that you are one of God's elect. I know that God has chosen you. How can we look at somebody else and know that they are the elect? Here's the reason. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because... Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For, for, here's the reason, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They received the word in the midst of trial and persecution. Immediately, to identify with Christ, they were going to be persecuted. And yet, with joy, they received the word of God. Paul says, that's demonstration of the Holy Spirit. That's a demonstration of something that is not natural, but something that is supernatural. The other response is a natural response. Immediately receiving it with joy... But as soon as things start getting tough, then no longer interested in the things of the Lord. That's the rocky ground. That is the shallow heart. The third soil is the thorny soil, which represents the cluttered heart. Now let me just back up and say the first uh, kind of hearing was falling on deaf ears, this kind of hearing is selective hearing. When people hear what they want to hear and then refuse to hear what they don't want to hear. Uh, That often happens. Selective hearing. The scripture warns that the time will come in the New Testament, the time will come when people will have itching ears and they will hear what they want to hear. Uh, that really speaks to our day and age. People, certain things they want to hear, other things they don't want to hear, and as soon as they hear what they don't want to hear, they're turned off. That's the rocky soil. The third soil is the thorny soil. The primary image of the thorny soil is the cluttered heart. Notice verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns... This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Picture an area that is overgrown with weeds. Those of you who have a garden, 
And if you are so uh, irresponsible as to let those weeds get out of hand, uh, if, if you <clears throat> plant seeds and they are inundated by weeds, the weeds grow faster than the plant does. And as the weeds grow, and if they are thick enough, they will actually block out the sunlight from the tender plants that have started to grow. And those plants, because they don't get any sunlight, will actually wither and die. That's the imagery of this particular portion of Scripture. So here is the cluttered heart. Here is this tender plant. But these weeds are so great that it just chokes out the sunlight, and as a result, they die. They die. The interpretation, the thorny ground represents the cluttered hearts of many. The specific weeds or thorns that are referred to are the distractions of this life. Notice verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Cares. That is distractions of all kinds. Distractions of all kinds. Think about this morning. You're sitting here. You are listening to the word of God. What might distract you this morning from hearing the word? A baby crying? People talking around you? Just your mind wandering about what you're going to do this afternoon? Did I remember to turn off the stove this morning? Are we going to get out in time that lunch doesn't burn? Thinking about a job interview tomorrow? A test result? A responsibility? A duty? It's easy to be distracted. And when you're distracted, you don't hear. Believe me, I get that. I know how hard it is to listen and not be distracted. I have a one-track mind. Many of you know that. If I'm preaching, it is very hard to distract me. Never worry about coughing or whatever. You can get up and walk out, and it won't bother me because I won't see you. I'm in my own little zone. Anybody that's been with us for a long time knows the story of one time a dog. You have to understand that we were in the old sanctuary. We didn't have air conditioning, and it was in the middle of summer. We had the doors wide open, and a dog walked in and down the center aisle. And people got up to carouse the dog and take it out. And a few people said to me afterwards, that was amazing how you maintained your 
thought, and we're not distracted by that dog. I didn't even realize a dog came in. I have a one-track mind. When I'm concentrating, I am a visual learner. I learn by reading. I don't learn by audible voice. It is hard for me to concentrate when somebody else is speaking. So I know what that's like. We would have homiletics class in seminary. Homiletics is when you learn how to preach. And so you would preach a a sermon to your classmates. And if you weren't preaching, then you were responsible for critiquing the sermon. So you'd have to make notes. And one of the things you were supposed to do was take down the outline. Invariably. Invariably. Without exception. Every time I'd be sitting there and the sermon would be over and I'm looking at my paper and the guy said he had four points and I had three of them. And I knew the problem wasn't with him. I knew that he said it articulately, he said it clearly, but at that point, I was somewhere else. And as much as I tried to listen, my mind would wander. The cares of this life can distract us from the word. And If we allow it to distract us, that word will not bear fruit. It will not be productive. It will not be helpful to us. So if you sit for the next 30 minutes and let your mind wander, you will get nothing from this particular message. But it goes beyond that. For it says not only the cares of this world, but the deceitfulness of riches. That is, trying to obtain them or manage them. This person has no time for spiritual things. There are other things in their life that are more important. And as a result, the time in God's word eventually gets choked out. There isn't time to meditate. There isn't time to reflect. There isn't time to read. There isn't time to reflect on what God's word says because of all the other responsibilities, cares, and duties. So, the cluttered heart. These individuals have muffled hearing. That is, the noise of other things cancels the word of God out. Now, one of the problems of a hearing aid is that it magnifies everything. Not just what is spoken, but all the background noise as well. Our ear is a marvelous thing because if you concentrate, it will focus, it will zero in on what you're trying to hear. But a hearing aid is not like that. It just turns up everything. And so if you're in a noisy environment, it's virtually worthless. Speaking with someone who wears one, right? That, uh, it's 
It's the truth, unfortunately. Well, here it is, the idea that there are so many other voices, there are so many other things, and it just crowds out the word of God. The fourth soil is the good soil, which represents the receptive heart. Verse 23. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Primary image of the good soil is not explained for it is self-evident. It is soil that brings forth fruit. But notice that good soil brings forth fruit to varying degrees, as does the good heart. Bears fruit hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. Here, it's good soil. It's good soil. But it yields in different measures. The point is, it yields something. It yields something. If we have an open and receptive heart that wants to hear God's word, you will get something from it. It will profit you. Some people will get more than do others. Why that is, the parable doesn't say. Giftedness, privilege, duty, work of the Spirit, it just doesn't say. And we all know that to be true. We can all hear the same message. We can all read the same Bible. And yet, some of us will get more out of it than do others. Some of us will get less out of it than do others. Part of that is gifting. Part of that is calling. There are a myriad of answers to that. But the point of the parable is, if God has given you ears to hear, the word of God is going to bear fruit. And the fruit, in this instance, is a lasting change and transformation of heart and mind. So some people are transformed more quickly and more completely. Some people, when they hear the word of God, just old habits fall away and and addictions and hardships and enslaving sins, they just fall away. And they're like a totally brand new person. And you just marvel at what God has done. And that word of God is incredibly transforming in their lives. Other people, less so. Maybe they are delivered from an addiction, say alcoholism, but the one person never drinks again. The next person, they can struggle with it. And they lapse, and they come back, and then they have victory, and then they lapse, and then they have victory. But you can see 
the fruit of God at work in their lives. And others will struggle still more. Why is that? In some ways, it's a mystery. And yet we all know it to be true. We all can look around and, and see that. We, if we want to begin to compare ourselves with others, not in a bad sense, but in a good sense, we can just simply see that the effect of the Word of God has varying degrees in our lives. Some people have greater faith than do other people. Some people, they read God's Word and it just makes sense and it's easy for them to believe. Other people really struggle with God's word in the sense of appropriating it and believing it to be true. It's harder for them. Some bear fruit 30-fold, some bear fruit 60-fold, some bear fruit 100-fold. But the point of the parable is if you are a child of God and if you are given the ability to hear God's word, then his word will bear fruit in your life. To some degree, in some way, you are going to see the Spirit of God at work in your life. These are individuals who listen to the word of God with cupped ears. They're hanging on every word. They want to hear. They want to be instructed. They want to understand. They want the parables explained to them. They are interested. They are hungry. They are thirsty. And so they are battling to stay attentive. They're working at knowing what the Word of God says. These are people that take notes. These are people that write in their margins. These are people that underline their Bibles. These are people who are seeking to concentrate on the Word of God. And they are bearing fruit. They're bearing fruit. Conclusion. Jesus is making a distinction among those who are hearing his message. This is given in the context primarily for the crowd that's before him. In that crowd are all four kinds of soil. In that crowd of the scribes and Pharisees who are just rejecting this out of hand. In that crowd are people who have come to be healed. And with joy, take that healing. Or like the man that we saw a couple of weeks ago, who a demon was cast out of, and now could see, and now could hear, but hadn't believed savingly, and as a result, more demons come in, and his position was worse than it was previous, so too there are people that give a lip service of a response, 
because they are pleased with what they hear. Maybe they're lonely and they hear that Jesus is a friend which sticketh closer than a brother and they want a friend, but they're not looking for a Lord. They're not looking for a Savior. They're looking for a compassionate person. Or like so many, they want to be healed, but they don't want to be transformed. With joy, but when difficulty comes, then they don't want anything to do with it. And other people seem like they are saved, and then they just wander away. And the busyness of life and all of its distractions just choke out the word of God and it proves to be ineffectual in their life and never to be seen or heard from again. They just wither and die. And then there are those that are truly born again and the word of God is at work in their life. Some in absolutely profound ways, bearing fruit a hundredfold, just a delight to see what God is doing and delivering them from. Others who struggle. And still others who find it so difficult and much they don't understand and much in their life that they wish were different and is not. And yet, they too can see the Spirit of God at work. And you can see the Spirit of God at work in their lives. Why does Jesus give this parable? He says, you that have ears, hear. It's, first of all, to warn us about the various ways in which people receive the word of God. The best way to know if a person is truly born again is the test of time. We're born again in a moment. We're born again in an instant. But how do you know if that faith is genuine? How do you know if that faith is a God-given faith or if it's a humanistic faith? Meaning that the person receives it on a humanistic level. And there is so much today that tends to try to manipulate people in making decisions. That's why in the book of Corinthians, Paul says that he came not with flattering speech, etc., etc. He says, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Wisdom of men's faith is when the preacher tries to get people to make a decision or make a commitment. Such as, if you want to be saved this morning, then come forward. And then says to the person, 
turn to the person next to you and say, if you don't want to go forward, you'll go forward with them. Make it easier for them. All the things, or to sing just as I am 50 times to get somebody to come forward, or to tell a sad story. Make an emotional response, an appeal. There are people that receive the word with joy, but are not saved. There are people that receive the word and for a period of time are interested in it, but yet are not saved. And then there are people that the Spirit of God has done a work. And their heart is open and receptive to God's word. And they bring forth fruit. Some 100, some 60, some 30. The application is, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What is your hearing like this morning? Which kind of ground represents your life? I would think that most here this morning would say, it's the fourth ground. That's why you're here. To hear the word of God. But there may be some here this morning that deep down inside know that that's not them. That they haven't really been transformed by the word of God. Any transformation is simply outward, not inward. Just like the man who could now speak and now could see. Talk about transformation. But it wasn't inward. It was all external. He's talking about the heart. Transformation of the heart. It's not the difference in the word. It's not in the one who proclaims it. It's the individual who's hearing it. So let's be careful how we hear. Let's pray. Our Father, help us this morning to hear your word. Lord, may that word be the engrafted word as it is spoken of in the book of James, meaning that it takes root in our heart. And as a result of taking root in our heart, brings forth fruit. And Lord, our desire is to bring it forth abundantly. So help us in our hearing. Help us in our listening. Lord, help us that the cares of this world do not distract us. Help us that the desire to obtain does not choke out the word of God in our lives. Lord, may adversity, difficulty, or hardship that comes our way as a result of the word of God not uproot us, but Lord, may we be strong in you. Give us hearts that truly believe, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.